You're listening to The Spindle on Wasteoids. Hello everybody, it's The Spindle Podcast with Mark and John. Welcome to The Spindle, a podcast about 7-inch records. I'm Mark. I'm John. And in each episode, we talk about one seven-inch record, hopefully give you some insight into it that you haven't heard before. We both got into music in the 80s and 90s when seven inches were super important, especially on independent labels. So that's the era we mostly draw from, but we sometimes pick from um, some stuff earlier or later than that, too. And either way, we try to keep it short and to the point, just like seven inches do. So this time around, we are talking about uh, Funkadelic 7-inch, One Nation Under Groove Part 1, Back with One Nation Under Groove Part 2, surprisingly enough, released by Warner Brothers in September of 1978. Uh, it was recorded as part of the album of the same name at United Sound Studio in Detroit, produced by George Clinton, written by Clinton, Walter Morrison, and Gary Scheider. Um, and from what, I, what I've read, it reached number 28 on the Hot 100 Billboard and was the number one song on their soul chart for six weeks. Also made the top 10 in the UK. It was ubiquitous here in D.C. It was everywhere. I bet it was. I bet it was. I'm not sure if it's worth going through the I mean, it's pretty hilarious, but I don't it'd take forever to list to talk about all the people who are credited on, on the album as the Funkadelic main invasion force. Well, for this uh, song, we could probably combine it to this song because this is a very finite number of people who actually are involved with One Nation Under Groove. And the number one person is. Uh, as you called him, Walter Morrison. That's Junie Morrison from the Ohio Players. So the song is one he made almost as a demo. I think he is about 60% of the music you hear was probably done by him, maybe with a rhythm machine. And once they decided they had something to it, um, Bootsy Collins played drums. Oh, wow. Bootsy Collins, the drummer on the track. Right. Uh, Roto-funky drum and percussionate and thump dance. Yeah, he actually plays a surprising (laughs) amount. Like, I think once he started Bootsy's Rubber Band, he saved the bass for that, and he plays an an enormous amount of drums on, if you check through Funkadelic credits, he plays a ton of drums for them. And on George Clinton solo stuff and everything. He's a very good drummer. I mean, he's great. I mean, really is, genuinely. uh, uh, Influential, although people don't know it's him, influential drummer on people. (laughs) Just, I mean, for playing on this track alone. Sure, He's hugely sure. influential. And so then you can kind of hear, obviously, where Bernie Worrell jumps. They, you know, they may have overdubbed him on there and stuff like that and built it that way. Uh, listed as Bernie Da Vinci Worrell. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. He's the, the Renaissance man. Yeah. And there's obviously a ton of people singing. Well, that would be where, like, yeah, who knows? That's There's yeah. Gary Scheider. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. uh, I think what's funny is Gary Scheider's credited there, but I think if I read on the 12 inch, there's guitar solos by Michael Hampton and not Gary Scheider, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's really hard to track who did exactly which guitar solos. Yeah. They're the, they're the two listed as Throbosonic funk guitarists. Yeah. They were the ones on that album. Yeah. They were the main, the main lead. I don't think Eddie Hazel's on that one, but the, the, what's interesting to me about the, uh, One Nation Under a Groove compared to other Funkadelic songs is it is actually, um, aside from the 12-inch mix, not a guitar-heavy song at all. That's and true. it is something yeah. closer to Parliament, although it doesn't have horns. And the difference between George Clinton, what I say, the difference between Parliament and Funkadelic is Parliament had horns. 
So Funkadelic doesn't. So this track does meet the Funkadelic criteria of not having horns, uh, but it lacks, it's not rock. There's mm-hmm. nothing rock about it. It's much more of a disco, uh, almost like a Philly R&B uh, kind of pump and beat that just spins on and on and on instead of being like a on the one, four on the floor, it's like a boom, boom, boom beat uh, like they do on a lot of the Funkadelic stuff. You know, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting in that way. And of course, it was probably Funkadelic's biggest hit. Maybe not just Knee Deep was bigger. Um, I think, uh, yeah, from what I've read, I think this is the the most successful single, the biggest selling single they ever had. And of course, a band like Funkadelic, they would you could consider their pop ranking to be a bit stepped on because uh, there were a lot of shenanigans that went on with keeping R&B records out of the upper reaches of the pop sure. charts. Um, and you know, there's also uh, radio, a lot of it was weighted to radio play, which meant that it was all stratified with that. So, uh, this song might well have been, you know, it was probably one of the biggest singles of that year. And so that was unique for Funkadelic too, because Parliament had had all the big hits up to that point, right? Right. Um, one of the things I really like about this song is like the singing starts right away. And the vocals are just like constant throughout the whole thing. It just arises, but, this song. It yeah. just arises. There's not yeah. really a beginning. You could hardly say there's a verse, although you can squint and sort of there's this verse chorusy kind of thing, but they don't really come at expected times. Like you're saying, there's a lot of cross uh, singing. There's times where people are just saying stuff, you know, exclaiming, gotta get on the good foot, good God, referencing people like James Brown and stuff like that. starts out with the so high you can't get over it thing which is sort of a a religious so taken from religious stuff right and uh (laughs) and the puns with the for the funk of it and all the oh it's so cool yeah it's great and and i was reading a couple different places that i read about it they said they kind of wanted to make a song that had a bunch of phrases that you either kind of heard before or were very were, were hit really quick I think you said one one version they were singing corn, corny or not here we come because they liked how corny <laughs> the lyrics were. But but I think there's something so great about the way it works for that. I mean, I think it would have been these lyrics might have been a tough sell in a different context, but they're just perfect with the the steady beat and the kind of rising energy throughout the song. It's a national anthem. 
and it's yeah, corny exactly. like national anthems are you know <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. it, it repeats itself too a lot it's very trance like it's like maybe you'll get yourself into you know it's because it is getting yourself into a state right a nation state maybe a state of mind sure why not and so uh that is through the vehicle of the one and the one is what the principle that the state of funkadelica is based on and if you follow up on the album the, the next song is groove allegiance i pledge groove allegiance to the funk the united funk of funkadelica i mean the one so the one thing is hilarious too because it's like james brown i think the legend goes that james brown told Bootsy to get on the one. And I think James Brown meant, you know, he's like a jazz guy, a drummer and stuff like that. It's like, look, if you're getting lost, just make sure you figure out where the one is. And every time it comes around, you'll have another chance to jump on right. wherever you need to be. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bootsy, of course, taking a ton of acid at the time, probably sits there and goes, yeah, the one. Okay. The one, the one. Wow. Oh yeah, man. Wow. The one. Wow. That's wild. You know, <laughs> and you get right. like, but it's true because it unfolds, you know, you're like, what is the one, the one, uh, the start of it all, alpha, alpha, you know, omega kind of thing. The whole song is kind of based on the idea that if you give in to the one, that we will all become happy and we will all get on the good foot and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. And I love, uh, there was a quote I found, and I can, now I can't remember if this was, I imagine George Clinton said this, but I can't remember where I got it from, but he's basically talking about the kind of the vibe of the song and especially the lyrics and the whole anthem aspect of it. He's like, we don't want people to think of us as being political, but we are political just from a mental standpoint, burn down the ghettos in your head and trespass in your own mind. That's what we're trying to say, which is fuck. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great American geniuses, one of the greatest humans who's ever lived. For sure. (laughs) No, but I I mean, one, the principle of the one is something you can kind of live by, you know, it's a place Mm -hmm. where everybody comes together is the one Mm -hmm. on the one. And if everybody comes together on the one, then we'll all feel the funk, which means that we'll all be kind of swinging together. But at, like funk, it's it's a swing thing. Everybody's in their own groove, but then you all land on the one. Yeah, and the groove part is like is such a big thing too, because I, I I can imagine in a different context the kind of stuff they're talking about and the way that he frames it could be kind of a little hippy dippy. But the the music is so grounded and so sort of gut level that it doesn't feel like this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius or something like, like right. That, well, know. and they've got weirdness in their background with the process church and stuff like that. But the one, the concept of the one is pretty grounded. Like that's, that's earthed literally, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not really like he's saying, it's not so much a woo woo thing as it's an idea of everybody has their own way of thinking. If everybody goes ahead and thinks their own way, then maybe everybody will be happier. And that will mean that everybody will be happier working together on their own terms, making something good. And he ran Funkadelic on those principles and had a lot of success it's it's a very real uh it's a very real thing you know mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. interesting about it uh philosophically where you would think listening to this song there's a vaporous quality to it but then when you think about it it's applicable to real life yeah yeah and the cool thing is as much as it's an anthem it's also sort of a bunch of mantras together right and, and right you know there's times when you can easily forget how long the song's been going because it feels like it's looping, even though things are changing. There's something with the with that, which is why the the kind of more simple kind of uh, lyrics and kind of what they call corny lyrics or whatever work. Because it's not necessarily always about exactly what they're saying. It's saying it over and over again. The, the where you can find the meaning in it, or the or 
have the meaning even kind of disappear and have it become kind of a hypnotized. <laughs> right. And the interlocking, there's an interlocking quality to it. And um, it definitely adds to the dynamism of this track, which is, you know, sort of static in some right. ways, because it really is pretty much that groove behind the whole thing. Uh, now, of course, you could listen to that groove for 24 hours and never get sick of it. But it's still for a song or a single, it's incredible how little it changes. <laughs> right. Like, especially, right. you know, when you just cut that on the seven inch, nothing changes. It just goes on and on, you know, and every once in a while they got one nation under a groove <laughs> right. and uh, it works um, mm -hmm. and is memorable, even though it is that kind of re repetition. I always, you know, it's, it's minimalism in a way. I don't know how totally. I don't know how aware George Clinton would be of real, you know, like Philip Glass or somebody like that, but it's very much uh, all along the same principles as, you know, some of the best minimalism. Uh, the It's interesting because the, I think the, the way they chose the instruments reinforces, I mean, there's a slightly mysterious quality to why things come and go during the song. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like thing, they, mm -hmm. they did a great job of making it. I don't know. Maybe it's a little random. People just turn things up and turn them down. That's very funkadelic. And so some things get louder for a minute. Like you're all of a sudden you hear the bass synth a whole bunch, you know, and then other times the rhythm guitar seems to be the prominent thing. And then the vocals come in and then there's that, do, 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 you know, that comes right. in like, mm -hmm. um, but it all just kind of rises and falls in this really organic way. Instead of seeming, instead of seeming super structured, which again I think is a commentary on the kind of nation, the idea that this is the kind of nation funkadelia, funkadelica right. is. You know. Uh huh. Yeah, totally. And I also kind of like there's sort of a double a double thing going on with one nation under groove because on the one hand it's sort of like they're they're professing the funkadelic philosophy. Basically, we want to unite under this kind of music that we're making and the vibe we're making. But also, it's all like, look, we found a groove that we could just play forever. And let's all make a nation out of, of this specific groove in right. this song, you know, because this one is so good. We're just going to keep playing it. and Let's all unite underneath it because it's good enough. <laughs> this groove is our flag. This groove is our flag. They had a whole flag made up that says one nation under a groove. That's right. right. That's we right. can unite under this group. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat similar to our last episode with the Miles Davis seven inch, this seven inch is slightly varied. For, although it doesn't have quite anywhere near the kind of variance that the Miles did, but the seven inch version is is split into two that ends up being longer than the album version, and then there's also a twelve inch that's longer than that. 
Yeah, it seemed to me going and passing through them all real fast that the there's the 11 minute 12 inch version is kind of the they kind of cut back from that for everything you know mm-hmm. and so right. they you know they just who you know sometimes these things are arbitrary yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. they decided they could stuff nine minutes on the on mm-hmm. the seven inch you could see why they <laughs> yeah. would decide that that's pretty much the maximum you could get on that thing and so they took nine minutes of the 12 inch split it in half and then because they're making an album the seven and a half you know who knows mm-hmm. uh you can hear there is an obvious once again there is this kind of obvious spot where things change for a second where you right. can kind of hear where maybe they thought that was the extended part and the inside interior was um but i think it's all the same track and yeah i think they loop uh the b side of the 12 inch sounds like it's looped for the guitar just to go off on or you know the vocals are knocked back and he's going off over the groove mm-hmm. what do you think would have been played on the radio the the, the album version the a or? side the a side they know definitely okay, the a side, side yeah, yeah the four minute okay, version yeah. for the most mm-hmm. part so it would just kind of fade out which makes yeah yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. yeah. And you would yeah. notice that on am or you know r&b radio right. or whatever right do you what what do you know about the sort of the, the context of the time period with them I, i'm not super versed on funkadelic were, were they considered I mean, obviously, they're, they're this single successful single, they sold a decent bit of records, so they were somewhat of a mainstream band, but they were kind of considered outliers from regular sort of mainstream R and B, right? And no, they were very popular. No, no. Once once they uh, once Parliament hit in the early seventies, they they started selling real records, and Parliament had a number of hits and stuff like that, and uh, especially R huge R and B hits. Um, and this was the first time Funkadelic had a hit, I think. I mean, I'd have to look that up, but I think most of the Funkadelic was considered to be the more underground of the two of them. And that was where kind of the weirder stuff went, the heavy rock, right. the crazy guitar solos, the acid stuff. Whereas Parliament was self-consciously like, okay, this is, we got horns. This is more a straight, straight ahead R&B uh, in its own way. And so it was inevitable, though, I think that they were going to merge at some point, just because why not? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> plus, there were other, the other thing is at the time, this is 78, it was probably, I think a lot of people would say it was probably the year of Parliament Funkadelic, because they put out all sorts of other records, like the Brides of Funkenstein, I think, came out that year. Bootsy Collins probably put out at least one record that year, you know. Eddie Hazel's record came around that time. Uh, they had Parliament records that went platinum around this time, so this was probably the pinnacle of many ways of the P Funk thing. They had hits after this, you know. It's still they kept going uh, for about four, four or five years, but this was definitely a big, a big peak for them. It was like building up, I think, from say seventy three, seventy four to seventy eight when they had the all of these hits. Yeah, because I'm just I'm I'm sort of wondering what would have been considered some contemporary their contemporaries at this point like what ohio else is on the radio? ohio players commodores cool in the gang earth wind and fire um the philly stuff like the ojs uh they were right in the mix with all that i mean they're they were definitely you know they were always considered weird but those you know they had huge hit i i think it was just part of their allure you know they were just they found their sort of little niche of being different and kind of odd and uh, at the same time making you know catchy pop hits so no they were right in there like Junie morrison of course from the ohio players the ohio players were huge you know he had just left them i guess maybe a year or two before um but they had been having huge hits for four or five years 
Um, speaking of weird songs like this, another song that I just adore is uh, Got to Give It Up, which is very similar to this, came out maybe a year before, where it has that same vibe of a song that seems like you just opened a door and it was playing. And you're like, oh, this song's going on. Okay. Um, and just kind of keeps going in the same vein. That also had like a 12-minute version. same kind of vibe uh with the very loose vocals um kind of is it a verse is it a chorus how many people are here you know it sounds like a party half the time and so i would think that might have i think that track came before might have influenced this one too in the kind of feel that this track has um and also similar vibes because got to give it up is about he's you know uh i used to go to parties and stand around I was too shy to really get down and so it's kind of similar to the one nation under a groove like you got to get up and you've got to give it up to the one you got to give it up to the one you've got to give it up is a similar kind of message at least in my mind they're connected that makes sense i mean i think probably <clears throat> from my limited knowledge the, the thing that that was that made them just slightly different than a lot of their contemporaries at the time is they seem to have a bit of a a philosophy behind them and a bit of a world they were building like a little mini universe of sort of like a Sun Ra orchestra type of feel almost with the yeah well yeah that was the... yeah they, well the, like the record covers for instance were great you just sit there in the record in the record store and look at them and we're trying to read <laughs> them and stuff like that uh all of the cartoons all over them and stuff like that that was definitely part of it um i just mean they were they were pretty mainstream though let's be honest they oh were, yeah no no I, yeah they yeah. were they were really outside the mainstream at that point they they actually had managed somehow to crawl their lsd addled um ideas and drag them to the top of the charts but uh they definitely were there um and doing just i mean the hits that they pumped out during that period are insane like flashlight and stuff like that but it was right there with it was right there with brick house it's right there with open sesame it's right there with uh earth wind and fire you know anything you can think of by them uh september or whatever these were all played you know they're all together so right. it wouldn't have really been much of a differentiation in that way. Everybody had their own. Everybody's because I guess the idea was every band had to have its own little vibe. And so mm. Earth, Wind, and Fire, they were very wholesome. And whereas Parliament would be more of a wild, hey, we're having a party kind of thing. You know, the Ohio players were very much like they were called the Ohio players because they're like, we're the best, all of the best players in the state of Ohio. And so they had this very, like, you know, very serious about the music kind of thing, you know. So, but every band was so it's like just like rock, you know, everybody kind of had to have their own lane. 
and the part of Funkadelics was just a little bit more sort of uh, loud and noticeable in terms of the way what they dressed and the way their every album right. seemed a like it, crazier, it was yeah. it was some sort of a concept album kind of or at least you know there was the, the like you said the cover was very distinct and very, yeah the covers were very distinct but they would take you know half the half the band were refugees from these other bands right. you know like from James <laughs> right. Brown's band or from the Ohio Players or Sly Stone started working with them in the late 70s also uh, so it's kind of, I think that was a, that was more its own world, all of those bands and that world. And those bands would tour together and be on a lot of the same labels and exchange players and singers and horn players. And so I think that was an ecosystem that uh, they came out of that they, that was a big part of how they were, what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I mean, and, and I didn't know so much about what had charted and what hadn't but it makes sense that this would be kind of their first big hit because the records before this are pretty are noticeably weirder than this not that this is have a weird aspect to it but a really trippy first couple records which are amazing i read a quote from gary scheider when he i think he he helped with the song but he was like he didn't like it at first because he's like it's fucking disco it's not funkadelic this isn't fucking funkadelic (laughs) you know Uh because it didn't have the rock element it didn't have the the heaviness and it's not say it i mean it's psychedelic but it's not got that intense uh noisy psychedelic like funkadelic usually had you know right um, and those kind of stereo effect kind of guitars and stuff yeah, well it's just it. a lot slicker you know it sounds like the ohio players it sounds like the ohio players uh were very tight you know a bunch of jazz guys and stuff playing funk not that the people in p-funk were not i don't mean it like that but they they you know it, it just has a cleaner sort of feel to it than p-funk um particularly funkadelic usually had and uh the whole album kind of replicates that it's definitely their sort of slickest sounding album um whereas some of them are some of the other ones are really gritty oh totally yeah yeah, and um in a good way and so it's kind of interesting in that regard that it is so sort of slick sounding it's funny. I, th- I keep thinking of the of the sort of the the political aspects of it and the and, w- and their philosophy behind it. I just one of the things that drew me to them when I first started hearing about them was like they were the they're both them and Parliament started happening at a time where a lot of bands felt obligated almost to be somewhat political, but their political thing was so much more about like music can make political change rather than we need to make protest songs so people will hear our messages. I don't know if I'm getting well, that exactly right, but well, I mean, there's some blunt talk on those records, you know, mm-hmm. and on uh, other songs on like Groove Allegiance. The funk is a pretty direct kind of thing, Groove Allegiance, you know, and about my a lot of the funk bands wouldn't. I mean, Ohio Players didn't really too many songs about that kind of stuff. Earth, Wind, and Fire didn't do anything political. Cool in the Gang never did anything. Commodores, you know, it was pretty much party all the time kind of right. write about you know getting down and and stuff like that casey and the sunshine band so i think that uh certainly one of the things that drew me to this song was that the lyrics were so interesting like they're they're not superficial although they're repetitive and uh, they they're a very interesting collection of words and ideas that make a great point just more of them a little more complexity to those lyrics even the parliament lyrics are a little more if you really sit and listen to them, they're always a little more interesting than the other funk lyrics that were going on at the time. And they are always very political, I think, Funkadelic. But, I mean, uh, Funkadelic in particular, but also Parliament, Chocolate City, a whole album, Chocolate City. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 
and was it Clinton writing the lyrics? You think most of the time for? Oh, I think it's I. You know, I think it's all a mixed bag. I think everybody writes everything, as far as I can tell. He's kind of an interesting guy that way. I mean, he's the figurehead in a sense, but he ran it as a collective sort of, right? I mean, well, he was a he was the boss, I think. But the boss sometimes would say, "Hey, you're singing the song." I think it's the way to think of it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Or I need you to write this, or you got to go finish that Brides of Funkenstein track. You know what I'm saying? So he's like he's like the director. He's the director, producer of everything, and he probably is the one who has to go get the money to get stuff done. You know, <laughs> right, go talk right. to the record labels and stuff like that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so that enables the other guys to sit back there and play guitar solos endlessly over all the tracks <laughs> right you know uh yeah. but, but i mean not you know it just that's the structure of it i mean it, it's there there needs to be a good history of them or a few oral histories uh it sounds like it was fine when it was a smaller operation but then as soon as it became super big it became really hard to manage it's a lot of contracts going a lot of different directions and yeah yeah, and I mean, we're desperate for a really thorough history of both these bands and the way everything went and stuff. There just isn't anything like that yet, which is really weird. Yeah, we need something super detailed on that because that yeah. also would probably – there's a whole network, as I was saying, of bands and, and a lifestyle or a life culture that went along with where bands like Funkadelic could play, you know, and the mix of places that they could play versus – uh, where other bands could play and um, the ecosystem that they, they came up with interacting with all these other bands, the James Brown bands, Ohio players, other bands we don't know about now that were probably big in certain regions. It was all very regional sure. then. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would probably be really interesting, you know, to tap into that. Kind of a lost history, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tap yeah. into that lost history. Thank you yeah, very yeah. much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, this is this is a great one. Secret history. This one. Secret history, exactly. So yeah, it yeah. should no longer be a secret. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the great thing about about this one, coming up to it and preparing for it, is like it doesn't necessarily sound like it could have been made today or anything like that. It's got some data, but it just pops. I mean, it pops right away, and it's unbeatable. Like, yeah, it just it it cuts through the years in that sense. It's just the energy is still completely captured on that record and undefeated. That record, it's still yeah. I've listened to. I mean, since nineteen seventy eight, still haven't gotten sick of it for a second. I just put it on as fresh as a daisy. The message is great. The the vibe is great. The lyrics are great. I don't know. Do you know anybody who doesn't love this song? <laughs> no, I can't even. Have imagine. you ever met anybody yeah. who doesn't love this song? Like you just play it. People are like, Oh yeah, uh-huh. that that thing's fucking great. Like it's universal. And and you know, the message is is great. It is a I mean, it's a political song and yet it's universally loved. So yeah, I mean, how could you it's one of those songs where you could it's hard to imagine fun anybody finding something against it, and yet it's not like a lowest common denominator song. It's like it's doing something, you know. You can do it. <laughs> but, it can be done. You can make great art that people want to listen to and, and interact with on a large scale. It's possible. That's great. You know, great. and and P Funk with this song definitely showed it. Awesome. Well, this has been a great one, and uh, we thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. All right, later. The Spindle is produced by John Howard and me, Mark Masters. I'm also the audio editor. Our theme song is by the great band Honey Radar. Our podcast is brought to you by Wastoids, audio and video from Hello Merch. 
Find more podcasts and videos at wasteoids.com. And please leave a rating and a review of our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.